as we begin a new season in the Gospel of Luke. Come with me to God's Word, to chapter 1, verse 1. In as much as, much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account to you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So today we're beginning the Gospel of Luke. And by the end of this year, we want to have followed him through Galilee. And in the new year, he is going to set his face to Jerusalem. There in chapter 9, verse 51. But here for these next weeks and months, we are going to follow Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Today I'll begin in chapter 1. We're going to skip chapters 1 and 2 primarily and circle back to those in December for the season of Advent. But today I'll, I'll come to chapter 3, but we're really going to focus in on these first four verses. This prologue, this beginning of this Gospel, this orderly account to the most excellent Theophilus. The author does not identify himself in this gospel. But hence, in the New Testament, and the witness of the early church tells us that this is Luke, the beloved physician and ministry companion to Paul. He is a Gentile. And one historian says he's from the, the area of Antioch. But he was not an apostle. He was not one of the twelve so why would this get place in our scripture if we're to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? If we're to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and he was not himself an apostle, why would this make it to the canon of scripture? He was a ministry companion to Paul, who was an apostle and directly an apostle to the Gentiles. And Luke, a Gentile, a physician, a ministry companion, a skilled historian, gathered the information, and both in his journalistic gathering of information and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, on top of this, writes an orderly account that was accepted by the apostles and endorsed by the early church. This gospel would have received apostolic endorsement by the apostle Paul. Luke traveled with him. This could be the gospel as endorsed by Paul. Who was the recipient here of this gospel? Most excellent Theophilus there in verse 3. And there's no reason to deny that this was a real person. Perhaps even a person of nobility. The most excellent Theophilus. Was he a believer who just needed an extra account of what had happened? Or was he that person who was seeking, and Luke gives him an orderly account of what Jesus had done. But look at his name. It's a Gentile name. But if you break it down, Theo, from Theophilus, Theo means God. And Phileo means love. 
the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Phileo is love. Theo is God. So this man's name actually means one who is a lover of God. R.C. Sproul says this, that everyone who loves God then becomes in symbolic terms Theophilus. This was written to a real man, most excellent Theophilus. But as we know and follow Jesus in Luke's account, in many ways we become Theophilus if we are lovers of God. Are you a lover of God? Then you will love Luke's gospel to the good news of Jesus. Theophilus not only got one volume here, but he got a second work that Luke would write later. Acts chapter 1, the Acts of the Apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after which he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. What a gift to have been given. Can you imagine giving a Spirit-inspired gospel and then a Spirit-inspired an account of the early church? These two volumes are given to Theophilus, but then preserved for us, for our Scripture. Who is the audience here? It's written by a Gentile, Luke, for Gentiles, Theophilus. Paul was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And yet the Lord sent him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And so it should not be surprising that Paul's ministry companion writes an account with Gentiles more in view. There's the theme of universality, not universalism, but a universality to Luke's gospel. For example, in chapter 2, when we see Simeon bless the baby Jesus when presented at temple, Hear his blessing. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. When we come to chapter 3, the genealogy, Luke goes all the way back to Adam, whereas Matthew will go back to Abraham. Luke takes it all the way back to Adam to show that we are all one people, one race. We will see Jesus minister to non-Jews, to Greeks, to Syrophoenicians, and others. Luke's gospel shows us that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, everywhere, at all times. <coughs> Jews and Gentiles. So if we're just coming to, how do we approach this gospel? The author is Luke. The recipient is Theophilus. The audience, even the broader audience, is Gentile. But what's the purpose? To have an orderly account of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection. It is most likely that Luke was a second-generation believer. He was not there at the foot of the cross. He was not there in the boat with Jesus. He's a second-generation believer who has believed by the testimony of others that Jesus is the Christ. And Luke is a skilled historian who gathered eyewitness testimony 
in the teaching of the apostles. I don't know if they would ever put this on Jeopardy, but if Alex Trebek ever asked you this question, who wrote most of the New Testament? Alex, could you clarify the question? Is it the number of books? That would be the Apostle Paul. But in volume of words, it is Luke. 27% of the New Testament is written by Luke. His Gospel, which is the longest, and the Acts of the Apostles. A quarter of our New Testament is Luke. He wrote that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And that word certainty is the very last word of this prologue. It has an emphatic position. Certainty. So I want to know what you're certain about today. What are you sure about? Are you certain that you will live a long life into your hundreds, 90s, 80s, 70s? Are you sure? Are you certain about your job? Oh, you've been there decades. They love you. Are you certain that it will be there? Are you certain about the stability and growth of your finances? Our stock market's been pretty good this year, dear, but are you certain that there will not be a crash? Are you certain your retirement will be there when you need it? Are you certain about the faithfulness of your spouse? Are you certain that your kids will grow up to love Jesus? Are you certain that your, your friendships with beloved, you've done life with together, that it will continue on for years to come? Are you certain that we'll have peace in our homeland? We who've not seen war on our homeland since the Civil War? Are you sure there will never be bloodshed on our homeland in your lifetime? Another shooting yesterday. Are you certain that we'll have freedoms of speech and religion for the duration of your life? that you may have certainty. Well, Derek, I'm not sure I'll have certainty about anything after that little monologue you just did. <laughs> so what is the point? Are we just supposed to live by blind faith and vain hopes? Luke writes that you may have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught about Jesus. He's not waxing eloquent in some philosophy. He's a skilled historian writing a history. Well-researched. Went and talked to people who saw and experienced. People who got healed. Disciples who were there. This is not legend. This is eyewitness account. This is not fable, but the historical facts of Jesus of Nazareth. Do you have certainty about him? We'll come to the Christmas story here in December, but do you believe that he is God in the flesh? 
not just, this is not our, just our world religion. Do you believe that Jesus was God in the flesh? Do you believe he was born of the Virgin Mary? Do you believe he was crucified under Pontius Pilate? That he was dead and buried? That on the third day he arose again from the dead? That he appeared to many? Do you believe from the people who saw it that he ascended into heaven on like a cloud? Do you believe an angel talked to them after that and said, why are you looking up there? The way that he went up is the way he's going to come back. Go get about what he's told you to do. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth is now in resurrected flesh at the right hand of God the Father Almighty now? Do you have certainty of faith in Christ Jesus the Lord? Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If your Christian faith is just some subjective choice you've made or just some religious preference, it's not faith. Faith is conviction and assurance. Or one person writes this, faith is the God-given ability to perceive what is true. The God-given ability to perceive what's true. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Faith is the God-given ability to perceive what is true. So saving faith is belief in the witnessed history and objective truth of Jesus of Nazareth. Saving faith, not vain hopes, not blind belief, Saving faith believes this witness history and the subjective truth of Jesus. Derek, I hear you, but I've got to be honest. You're talking about certainty, but I have struggles. I kind of wonder if God even knows me. Like I've kind of gotten left behind and everyone else seems to be riding this wave of being blessing by, blessed by God, but does he really know and love me? Dick, i got to be honest, I have some doubts. Is Christianity really, I mean really, the only way to eternal life with God? Dick, i got to be honest, I've got some hard questions. The age-old questions. How can God be good and there still be evil in this world? See, if these are struggles, doubts, and hard questions, how can we have certainty? How do you have uncertainty? And then how do you respond to them? Nothing new is under the sun. And so some, when we have our uncertainty, even to the question of Jesus, we will go to an existentialism which will just say, I'm going to define truth. I'm going to find certainty in my experience of life. And so in my experience of life, where I am and what I see and know, 
this is true. My existential reality, this is my existential certainty. And I will just live with a self-confidence. Because I don't know if I can be certain about this Jesus of Nazareth. So for some of us, certainty comes from within. We can gin it up and stir it up and try harder. Some have tried that and they get so tired and it just becomes a nihilism and they're just going to say, there is no certainty. There actually is no meaning. This is all meaningless. And so we're just, I've tried it and I'm just done. And there is no certainty. We're just here by random chance. We've evolved to this place where I get to make a couple laps around the sun, but there's nothing beyond this. Still, some will say, I have religious certainty. I will believe in some world religion. I'll believe in some world philosophy. And there, not inside myself, and I'm not saying it's nothing's, but there, this philosophy and this religion, I will find certainty. And if we note the signs of our times, the philosophy that everyone is running to right now is critical theory. Be careful. I, some of you are like, we're just blind. Oh, yeah, we sent our kids to college and it's all this. And then they come back and they're, they're, everything's now questioned. They don't even understand. There's no certainty except our experience collectively and how we then kind of do the teeter-totter of different groups within and among societies. Just certainty there. And that's an ardent certainty that's coming our way, church. There's an ardent, strident certainty coming against the Christian faith right now. There's nothing new under the sun. But I ask, do you have certainty in the witness, history, and objective truth of Jesus? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith, it's a gift of God. It's not our own doing. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what his ministry companion wrote to the Romans in Romans 10. Luke undertook a task to compile a narrative, an orderly account of Jesus of Nazareth, the words and works of Jesus. He did this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit this with the endorsement of the apostles gospel certainty comes through faith faith comes through God's word you cannot have certainty apart from faith you cannot have faith apart from God's word so here's my question what do you do when you struggle with doubts struggles and hard questions are, we, are you looking in just to fortify yourself, my emotions, my experience? Are you looking to the world with others and politics and tribes and philosophies? Or are we looking to God's word for truth and certainty? You want to see the dismantling of any church or denomination. The thing that goes is the certainty of God's word. 
We will sit and fight over this issue or this issue, that issue. And it will just come like waves. But if you go to the root of it all, it's always the authority of God's word. Are we certain about God's word? The more that we neglect it, the less certain we will be of Jesus. The more devoted we are to God's word, the Holy Spirit will give us certainty with faith for believing. Not subjective choice, but God-given faith to believe in Jesus of Nazareth. I want to know, do you have certainty that he is God in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and was raised again on the third day, ascended into heaven where he will now return to make all things new. Luke wrote to Theophilus that he may have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. So God lovers, God lovers have certainty of faith in Jesus by God's word. That's what these first four verses teach us. God lovers will have certainty of faith in Jesus by God's word. Do you have such certainty? That's a strong word, Derek. It's the emphatic, positioned word of verse 4 of Luke's gospel. Do you have certainty to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Anything less shouldn't just be something we're satisfied with. If you're just satisfied with a little uncertainty in your faith, then we need to come back to a clarified faith in who Jesus is and what he's done. So where are you today? We're back here on the hill. Maybe here today and maybe in the coming weeks. There'll be those who are curious seekers. But Derek, there's none that seek God. They're all, well, there's some that God is pulling and drawing to himself, and they're asking curious questions. And if you are a curious seeker and you're saying, Derek, I am not there with you today and your certainty of Jesus, but I'm curious, I have some more questions, I am so, we are so glad that you are here. I would ask you, please, just keep coming and let's journey together through the gospel of Luke and see what this orderly account of Jesus of Nazareth is and see, and I, and I dare you, even if you don't believe in God, Pray, just pray a weird prayer that God, if you're there, I don't even know who I'm really talking to, but if, if you're there, God, reveal yourself to me. Show me if this is real. I'll, I'll, I'll read your word with this church and we'll see what happens. I dare you. What have you got to lose? Man, if this is real and you're just gonna like, I don't know, just give it a season. If it is real, Walk with us in knowing and following Jesus through the gospel of Luke. So curious seekers may be some that are among us. There's another group among us, uncertain believers. And I'm glad you're here too. Really glad. Because in the midst of your doubts and your struggles and your hard questions, and then you were certain in this season of life, but now you're like a little uncertain in this season of life. In the ebbs of flow in life, let's come back to God's word and to the gospel of Luke. Let's devote ourselves again to reading, studying, meditating, prayer. 
don't fake it. Please don't fake it. Don't try to put on religious conviction. We want faith certainty. So be honest with where you are and let's pray together. Honestly, in real relationship with one another in church community. And let's pray that Jesus would give us certainty. There's others of us here who are confident believers. Welcome, I'm glad you're here. We need you here. But don't think you know it all. Continue to devote yourself to God's word and pray that the Spirit would continue to increase your faith by the hearing and knowing of God's word. God lovers have certainty of faith by God's word. Here's where we're going to go. I'm going to put it back on you. I'm not preaching this. But before we get to the river, I want to read this portion of Scripture, these 22 verses. Flip with me to chapter 3. Not preaching it? We're going to read it. This orderly account so that you may have certainty concerning, concerning who Jesus is. <clears throat> Just a few minutes, we're going to dismiss. And our response to God's word will be continued worship at the river. But hear God's word. Chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to the skilled historian Luke. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region, of Iteria and Trachonitis, Lysanias and tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and then what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, but be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, 
John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chafe he will burn like unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The way was made for our Lord to come. This was in fulfillment of ancient prophecy by the prophet Isaiah. John came and proclaimed a baptism of repentance to repent from our sins. We didn't hole up and become some community. We actually started living life where we were, but now as changed individuals. Keep doing what you're doing. Just don't extort money. Don't give threats. Give as it's been given to you. The call to know and follow Jesus doesn't take us out of the world. It keeps us in the world to shine as lights as we know and follow Jesus. But it will bear fruit. It's not just a faith that has no works that accompany it. We are not saved by any good work that we do, but if we are saved by saving faith, there are good works that we will do for God's glory. And look at this. This is how Jesus will begin his ministry. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. God lovers have a certainty of faith in Jesus by God's word. And Jesus lovers will bear the fruit of repentance, even being baptized in his name.